Hello and welcome to another episode of For the Love of Sports. My name is Michael Raziel and we're going to have a fun show today. I have Jacob Pollock, college football expert here with me again. I think we're going to make this pretty regular because I had a blast last time. So I'm looking forward to doing this more and more. Again, crossing our fingers that the season does happen. But Jacob, how are you doing again this week, man? Doing well, man. Thanks for having me back. Great to see you again. And let's rock and roll. Let's rock and roll. So we do want to start out the show. The Ivy League will have an announcement. I don't think it came down as of yet three o'clock on Wednesday, at least when I did a quick Google search, nothing said something Uh, And the internet didn't tell me anything yet, but there will be an announcement. It looks like they either may postpone or even potentially cancel. Uh, Now, Jacob, I know you're on the side of, hey, it's the Ivy League. Who cares? I did just want to remind everybody they were the first to cancel their basketball season. And we all said, that's ridiculous. And then we haven't had sports uh, since. So it's, it is, um, I'm not going to say alarming, but it's definitely something to pay attention to. So we'll, we'll, we'll say that we'll get that out of the way. What we want to do, you know, I had Jacob on last time, as you can probably tell if you're watching us on YouTube and if not, I will remind everybody listening to the podcast, Jacob's a very, very big USC fan. So we did an entire episode on USC. We did an entire episode on the PAC 12 and what's happening and what that looks like had a lot of fun there. And I thought, you know what? Let's just run it back. Let's do the entire country at this point. Screw it. I love it. You love it. We all love college football here. So we uh, we decided we're just going to roll with it. So let's start out with the SEC. Uh, We have a lot of new stuff happening. We have some new coaches. We have Lane Kiffin over at Ole Miss. We have Mike Leach over at Mississippi State, which is going to be very interesting. Obviously, Nick Staben's still there. We have Dan Mullen still there. A lot of stuff happening over in the SEC. So, Jacob, what are some of the big and I guess the the top storylines that you're paying attention to leading up into the season for the SEC? Well, I think the thing you're leaving out the most there, Michael, is you still got Ed Orgeron there at LSU. So, Coach (laughs) Coming off a national championship run, um, some might might say uh, one of the most prolific single seasons and yes not only sec history but perhaps in in all of college football so i think first of all the sec is going to look at lsu and and say was it a 2019 season that was built off of the success of joe burrow their heisman trophy winning quarterback and joe brady their offensive coordinator who's since departed after that prolific season Mm -hmm. or is lsu going to kind of regain that momentum as they go into the 2020 season hopefully hopefully they'll they'll hit the field this year but i think there's a lot for ed orgeron to wrap his fingers around after losing a ton of offensive production and some defensive talent as well because right out of the gate in the second week of the season lsu's playing texas texas and we'll get into that when we talk about the big 12 has texas ever really been back over the last few years is kind of a phrase that the country likes to flirt with. But um, that's a game where, you know, when you think about Joe Burrow not coming back, a different look on that LSU uh, offense, especially, is that a game where Texas is favored coming into Death Valley uh, in Baton Rouge? And then two weeks later, they got a big game against Ole Miss. As you mentioned with Lane Kiffin, they got to go on the road to Florida, on the road to Auburn and Texas A&M. So I think when you think about the SEC, the first thing that stands out to me is what's going to happen with LSU. Are they building on that national championship run or are they going to regress a little bit? And when you think about those road games that they have on the schedule there, I do think that there's going to be some pitfalls in, in the LSU schedule and maybe even right out of the gate in that Texas game. So that's that's kind of what stands out to me the most. And I assume we'll get into the likes of Florida and Auburn and and who can forget Alabama. But my biggest question mark on the conference is what's going to be of LSU. That's a, that is a great question too, right? I mean, as you said, the, the offense that they lost, if I'm not mistaken, every single starter from their offense last year, all 11 players 
are signed to an NFL roster in some capacity, whether that was drafted, whether that's undrafted. That is insane. That does not happen. That's not supposed to happen. And all of them left in a single year. So it is uh, alarming to say the least. Uh, Now they do still have the two probably best wide receiver tandem. Now, obviously, with Alabama's moving on, they have uh, Jamar Chase still, and they still have Terrence Marshall. Those dudes are insane. Jamar Chase, what he did all last year, Terrence Marshall had something, what, like 18 touchdown receptions or just some like weirdly absurd number. But granted, when you look at Joe Burrow's numbers, it's not too surprising, but they lost a lot of talent over the last couple of years on offense. They still have some offensive uh, weapons, of course, but new quarterback, New system again. Uh, it's going to be a very, very interesting way of looking at the LSU Tigers. I'm all for it. I loved watching it last year. I was on board. I watched that Texas game and I said, holy crap, is this thing real? Turns out it was real. It was very real. Uh, they had what, like one scare essentially all season. And if I'm not mistaken, it was against Ole Miss. Um, but In other the than first that, half, at least. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and then and, that game broke open. The Alabama game was weird. I watched that entire thing, but it really, you felt like it was LSU's to lose most of it. So it, it was a lot of fun, though. So I don't know. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be a question. I don't think they repeat as SEC champions. I don't even think they make it to the college football playoff again. They lost so much. Um, and again, new quarterback, new system, new everything. It's going to be very, very difficult to reload as much as they plan on doing or hope to do. So that kind of leaves us with everybody else. I mean, Alabama is still Alabama. Uh, Dan Mullins now in his third year here at Florida. You have a couple new Mississippi school head coaches. So what are what are some of the other Auburn as well with Bo Nix now is true, true sophomore. So we'll see if he gets a little bit better. Wasn't the best last year, but Hey, he beat Alabama. What else can you ask the guy to do in Oregon? Um, what are, what are some of the other storylines and headlines that you're looking at in the SEC? Well, I, I do think it's the story of, of Auburn and, and Bo Nix, their, their quarterback, who's coming off a tremendous freshman season. And I think when you look at the slate that Auburn has in front of them, of course, there's going to be a little bit of, of rocky waters they got to navigate on the road at Georgia, LSU, at Alabama, of course. But it's weeks two and three of the season where I think you're going to learn exactly what's the football team that Auburn's going to bring to the table. They're playing North Carolina in the second week of the season, and we'll talk a lot about them when we shift over to the ACC and what Mac Brown is, is doing there in his second season. And then a date on the road with Ole Miss, and I think that's a game where – Lane Kiffin's coming into his first season as the head coach of Ole Miss. Really, it's taken a few years for him to get the groove back and and climb back up the the echelon of of head coaching duties in college football after what went down at USC, then what went down in Alabama, his departure there, and then back as a head coach at Florida Atlantic, moves on now to Ole Miss. I think it's going to be a very interesting storyline. What's that dynamic that Lane Kiffin's going to bring to the table? And much like much like Mike Leach, as you talked about his now key rival across the state there at Mississippi State, a very kooky kind of, of football, kooky brand of play calling that Lane Kiffin brings to the table. So you best believe that when they have the Auburn Tigers rolling in to the Grove in Oxford, Mississippi, Lane Kiffin's going to bring his A game as, as a play caller and, and as a schemer. So I think it's going to be a question of how Auburn best prepares to handle weeks two and three of the season. Because after that, um, you know, a couple games where, where Auburn's going to be favored and then that all builds up to that road test against Georgia. So if they can navigate that first half of the season with maybe one loss, which I'd say to, to Georgia, I, w- I would expect Auburn to, to play North Carolina and Ole Miss and, and win both those games. But if they can get to that Georgia game undefeated, play Georgia very closely, they'll roll through, roll through the rest of the schedule 
until they get to LSU and, and Alabama, which, by the way, they happen to play back-to-back to close out the season. So a very challenging schedule, I think, for the Auburn Tigers, and one that's going to define is Bo Nix, the, the, the guy to get the job mm-hmm. done down there in Auburn, or or is Gus Malzahn's seat going to warm up a little bit? As interestingly, you kind of see his seat warming up every other year. Yes. So I think last year was the year you Gus Malzahn is loved in, in Auburn, and then the next year we'll, we'll see what happens there. But to your point, beating Alabama, beating Oregon, that's going to give the Tigers a lot of momentum as, as they move into 2020. Um, of course, you got Georgia, who's going to probably be a preseason top five team. They're breaking in most likely another transfer quarterback in Jamie Newman from Wake Forest, who I think is going to really uh, be a great engine driving that Georgia offense. You have JT Daniels from USC, who's going to back him up most likely. I don't think JT is going to start immediately in Georgia there over Newman, who's going to be um, a veteran quarterback from Wake Forest coming into that fold there. Um, I think when you think about Georgia, you know what you're getting in that brand of football. Kirby Spart has done an absolutely fantastic job recruiting and getting those guys ready to play. So I don't have a concern with what George is going to bring to the table. You'd almost expect them to play mm-hmm. quite well running their table and, uh, until they have a big game down the road. Um, I think, though, a very interesting question mark uh, when it comes to the SEC, much like LSU and Auburn, is the Florida Gators. Yes. Um, I think last season was huge for Dan Mullen. He came over from Mississippi State his first season and showed some promise, but it was year two under Dan Mullen there that really had Gator Nation believing that they can go back to those Tim Tebow days, especially when Kyle Trask took the reins there at the the quarterback position. So looking at their schedule, to be honest with you, sets them up really for success. They don't play Alabama. They got Georgia, uh, obviously, at the neutral site, LSU at home. Really only two road games in conference uh, that are going to pose a challenge, Tennessee and Ole Miss. Uh, Florida State's on the road at the end of the season, but Florida State not what it was a couple years ago. So I think that is a schedule that primes Florida for easily a 10-2, if not an 11-1 season, and potentially getting into that SEC championship game, maybe against Alabama for a shot at the college football playoff. That would be interesting. I think Florida is, you know, outside of LSU just being a question mark on what the hell are we going to even see from that team this year? I think Florida is the most interesting. So I, I listened to a couple uh, college football podcasts because I love college football so much. Uh, my favorite being the solid verbal. So if you guys are out there, um, check it out because it's my favorite one hands down. And they always they had a re- they posed someone posed a really interesting question. Is Kyle Trask the best returning quarterback in the SEC? Now, I watch a weird amount of uh, Florida games because uh, my best friend, my cousin, is a very big Florida fan and another one of my very good friends who lives about five minutes down the road from me where we hang out and watch football on Saturdays is also a big Florida fan. So I watch a lot of college football more than just the regular person and I think Kyle Trask is terrible. Um, I don't. I didn't think he was very good at all. And now maybe I'm missing something. Maybe he is just that perfect game manager. I don't really know Dan Mullen's offense too much from Mississippi State. I will not lie. I know he had that one year with Dak Prescott. And after that, I really don't know too much about the guy. But to me, it's just weird how, you know, they got Emory Jones to flip from OSU a couple of years ago. Uh, Felipe Franks was serviceable. 
then, I mean, unfortunately breaks his leg in a very gruesome injury. I was watching that live. It was disgusting, unfortunately, but grateful that he is fine now. If I'm not mistaken, he went down to Arkansas, which will be interesting. See exactly. what happens there. I think Arkansas is still going to suck, so we really don't have to talk too much about them. But it's is Kyle Trask really the best returning quarterback, in your opinion, to the SEC? Because to me, like I just didn't even think he was good. Well, I think the thing is, you didn't see a full season out of Kyle Trask, as you mentioned with the Felipe Franks injury, but still, in a not a full season body of work type of resume, he put up 25 touchdown passes. Is he the best returning quarterback in the SEC? I think I would say potentially by a process of elimination. That's yeah. that's the thing there. LSU's breaking in a new quarterback. Alabama's breaking in a new quarterback. There's controversy uh, in, Georgia. in Georgia. Exactly. You have Texas A&M with Kellen Mond, who is a veteran quarterback, but can't win a big game. Yeah. You have Bo Nix, who's coming into his second season. I, I'd say Nix and Trask are kind of neck and neck there for who is the best returning quarterback in the SEC. But I would use best as a very soft uh, yeah. term there because I don't think we have a full enough body of work out of either quarterback to, to give them that title one way or the other. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that we'll um we'll see what happens there. It's going to be interesting. And I think one thing and I'm kind of thinking about this on the fly and that's the fun of doing these live is I think the next few episodes we do are just going to be very deep dives into each of these conferences as we did with the Pac-12. So we'll kind of set the stage here and then we'll be able to do some real deep dives moving forward. That way we can talk for 45 minutes about Bama, LSU and Auburn and see what the heck's going on in Florida there. So is it Bama's conference to lose again I mean I feel like it has to be every year I mean Georgia obviously as you said they they brought in one of the best recruiting classes and have been bringing in one of the best recruiting classes over the last few years so Kirby Smart knows what he's doing but we really don't know what they're going to get at quarterback uh Jake Fromm was supposed to be really good and he was pretty okay last year um I think Mac Jones is surrounded by an incredible amount of talent. And that's really all we've seen. I think Jake Coker won a national championship or something, right? Yeah. So like, yeah. I don't think Alabama needs much more than a defense, a running game, and some incredible wide receivers, right? Not, well, no, this, nothing more than that. This is what is so fascinating about the SEC because you talk about Jake Fromm being uh, pretty mediocre down the stretch. But mediocre still in that type of play at Georgia took them to two Sugar Bowls in a national yep. championship. Mm -hmm. So I think that's so fascinating about the SEC is, of course, you have so many playmakers, uh, not just at the skill position, but you know on defense as well, that you have to have a complete team, yes, but still a pedestrian uh, level of quarterbacking play brings you to a national championship, brings you to a New Year's Six Bowl game. And that's kind of been the theme in Alabama as well. You have so many quarterbacks over the last let's let's call it the last 10 years at Alabama, some very forgettable names at the quarterback position who still every year lead Alabama to a college football playoff and a national Blake championship. Sims. Blake Jake Sims. Blake Sims was the first AJ name. McCarron. <laughs> Blake Sims there was the first name that was going to roll, roll off my tongue there. Um, so I think at a certain point, and two of Tagovailoa being the only outlier, I, I yeah. would say um, now with, with a promising NFL career in front of him. So I think whoever steps into that, quarterback position at Alabama this year, whether it be Mac Jones, whether it be Bryce Young, you know, when it when you think about Mac Jones, I think that's a name where, again, if he's the starter and Alabama ends up going to a college football uh, playoff game or, or even the national championship, he falls back into that line of some forgettable names at the quarterback position. Bryce Young, I think, on the other hand, a little bit of a different story, maybe the second coming of Tua, should he should he live up to to the hype of his mm -hmm. 
recruiting profile. That's to be seen. So um, is it Bama's conference to lose? I think under those pretenses, the answer is is by default, yes, uh, especially with those question marks. But I do think Florida is going to be the the team that gives Alabama the scare there in the SEC championship game. Well, as long as the, if they make it to the SEC championship game, as we know, uh, they still have a chance to make it to the to the college sure. football playoffs. So we'll see what happens there. Let's um let's move on to the Big Ten. So I am a Rutgers graduate. So I guess I'm technically that makes me a Big Ten fan. We don't have to talk about Rutgers, even though they do at one point during the offseason had a top 10 recruiting class or at least including transfers and everything. It got real wacky there for a second. So we'll see what happens with Greg Schiano. Maybe we can get our name. Maybe we could just get to a bowl. That's that's let's start with, you know, what, screw it. Let's win two games in the Big Ten. And I'm happy with that. So we'll get there. <laughs> but um, Ohio State, obviously one of the best teams in the nation last year, probably should have beaten Clemson. If you're an Ohio State fan, uh, that was a fumble, in my opinion. That's just another conversation. J.K. Dobbins essentially runs, does whatever he wants to in the first half, then gets kind of hurt and then isn't really capable in the second half. Justin Fields throws two interceptions in the second half, which doesn't he threw, I think, two all year up to that point. So I, I think it was a weird outlying game. Obviously, they were playing against one of the best teams in the nation. So that's when those things do happen. But is this I mean, I don't believe in Michigan. Uh, Wisconsin is awesome and they'll put up a fight for a half against Ohio state. Then they'll lose. Uh, is, I mean, ne- Nebraska, like in a couple years still, maybe like, is there anybody in the big 10 that really can hold a candle, uh, hold a flame to what Ohio state's been able to build and, and continue building? Well, I'd, I'd say that's still Wisconsin. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I want to touch first on, on what you said about not being a, a Michigan believer. I think Michigan personally has been one of the most overrated teams in the country over the last few years. I think it's some of that Harbaugh flair. They're going to break in a new quarterback as well, most likely Dylan McCaffrey, uh, the younger brother of Christian mm-hmm. McCaffrey. So I think there's a lot of uncertainty on the offensive side of the ball. Of course, Jim Harbaugh never beaten Ohio State since his arrival into Ann Arbor. And the key is for Michigan, they start the season. I I do want to just say JT Barrett did not get that fourth down. He absolutely (laughs) was short and I will stand by that to my grave, but I I apologize. Continue. Still an epic game there. I will say amazing. Um, The thing with Michigan is, is I've, I've talked a lot about on on our podcast last week and and earlier today about teams that right out of the gate, are going to have to play some of their best football of the season to make an impression. And I don't think that's a statement more true for any team in the country than Michigan going on the road to Washington to open the season. If Jim Harbaugh leaves Seattle with a loss, you're going to have the boosters calling for his head because that is a absolute, if there is ever a must-win game on any team's schedule right now, it is that season opener for Michigan against Washington. They're going to have all the favor on their side, with, of course, as we talked about last week, Washington breaking in a new quarterback, breaking in a new head coach, some question marks on defense. So even though it's going to be a tough road game for, for Michigan, you have to think that they have the upper edge in that game. But again, if Harbaugh leaves Seattle with a loss, they, they are going to have a very difficult slate ahead of them. They got to go on the road to Michigan State, on the road to Minnesota, who was probably the most surprising team in the country last season, and, and they'll continue off that hype. They got to go on the road to Ohio State, Penn State at home. Somehow, uh, by by some by some luck, if they could make it into the second half of the season, 
with with only a loss or two. That'll set up for another one of those games against Ohio State where they say, is this the year that Jim Harbaugh beats Ohio State? I don't think it is. I think Washington's going to give them problems. They also have to play Wisconsin, of course, which which we'll talk about in a minute. So I think this is the year more than more than any other where you see Michigan's really starting to ruffle some some feathers up there in in the athletic department because with the kind of tradition that Michigan has when it comes to winning, making it back to a Rose Bowl, how about making it to a Big Ten championship game, mm-hmm. which is something that Jim Harbaugh still hasn't been able to do year over year. I think they they have to figure out the offense. They have to figure out the quarterback, which has been Jim Harbaugh's issue. When Shea Patterson transferred from Ole Miss over to Michigan, everybody said, hey, Jim Harbaugh's mm-hmm. finally found their quarterback. Now we we can finally erase the question marks. Can Jim Harbaugh get it done on offense? And even with Shea Patterson for two seasons, their struggles can't beat Ohio State can't get to a Big Ten championship game. Wisconsin's going to give them problems. Penn State's going to be tough. Minnesota's going to be tough. And then, of course, uh, o- Ohio State is going to be be that penultimate game, I think, for Jim Harbaugh's career. I don't think you see a coaching change midseason for Michigan, not with a name like Harbaugh, but I, I think falling to Ohio State yet again for what would be, I believe, six seasons in a row at that point, um, we might see the end of Jim Harbaugh in, in Ann Arbor. Um, so I definitely important to touch on that first. Um, but as you mentioned, Wisconsin is going to be a a team to keep your eye on. I think definitely the one that's going to challenge Ohio state, uh, most likely again in, in the big 10 championship game. Uh, luckily I, I think, uh, this season, Wisconsin doesn't play Ohio state in the regular season, not to say that their schedule is any easier, uh, without them, but you won't see a, a Wisconsin, Michigan, Excuse me, a Wisconsin Ohio State game mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, until the until the conference championship weekend, because look, I think the kind of experience that Wisconsin returns is going to be their biggest asset. Jack Cohn is a perfect game manager for the type of offense that Paul Christ runs. You could see there how uh, he led Wisconsin to the Rose Bowl last season, almost clipping Oregon at the very mm-hmm. end, only losing by a point. Win. Yeah, they they. They had that game so in check, especially on the defensive side of the football. Wisconsin's run defense against Oregon was owning the line of scrimmage all all afternoon. The only way Oregon was able to evade that was with some Justin Herbert designed scrambles. So I think the kind of experience that Wisconsin returns on both lines, offensive and defensive, and then of course at the quarterback position sets Wisconsin up for a very successful 2020 season. But on the road at Michigan, a neutral site game against Notre Dame, which will probably be at Lambeau Field there in, in Wisconsin. You got to say that that's going to be almost like a home field advantage for the Badgers there. The game's played at Lambeau. But I'd say that Wisconsin-Notre Dame in the fifth week of the season is going to be probably one of the most talked about regular season games of the season. Of course, they play in Minnesota as they do every year in a rivalry game. But really only two games there, Michigan and Notre Dame, which of course – Thanks to to some ironic scheduling, they get back to back. No no rest there for for the weary. But outside of those two games, I I would say Wisconsin's got to run the table. So a ten and two, eleven and one season, very much in reach for Wisconsin. Um, and of course, every year Notre Dame is a question mark: are they up or down? Mm-hmm. Um, so if it's if it's a down year for Notre Dame, maybe you'd see even a twelve and zero Wisconsin uh, going into championship weekend. 
I do think we see a 12 and 0 Wisconsin. Honestly, like I don't think, uh, you know, with the way the schedule is laid out, yeah, they have those two games back to back, but I th- they hammered Michigan last year. I think it was 35 to nothing at one point uh, in the it first year, like beginning of the third quarter, something like that. So they were, they, they completely owned them there. I think Jim Harbaugh is jealous. I think he wants to run that type of team. He just can't for whatever reason, just a ground and pound. And I'm just going to have bigger and better offensive linemen and defensive linemen than you. And then we'll see what happens. Unfortunately, it just has not been able to happen for him over there. And I, I don't know. I think Notre Dame is going to be solid like they are every year, but I still think Wisconsin will take that one home, especially if it is up in Lambeau, as you said, essentially a, uh, a home game. So there is a lot more to talk about with the big 10, which again, we will be doing a specific episode. I think we just agreed to that. Um, Absolutely. We're going to be doing Let's a bunch do more episodes. Where we're able to d- dive in, especially with Penn state and everything that's going on there. And you can't forget I mean, about Nebraska, Nebraska. In, yep. Yep. With, with so, Scott so Frost. Give, me, give me, give me like two minutes on Nebraska and how you feel. Uh, what, what does Scott Frost need to do to, I, th- I think he keeps his job no matter what this year, unless they obviously go one and whatever, or two or three and whatever. I think that's very difficult to see, but what does he have to do to actually give people inspiration for the coming years? Because I still don't think this is their year. He's got to make a bowl game, plain and simple, because when you look at the 2020 slate uh, for Nebraska, on the road at Ohio State, on the road at Iowa, on the road at Wisconsin, I think it's too much uh, for for a complete season uh, mm-hmm. of Nebraska football to, to weather that storm. I think a very underrated non-conference game uh, that they have on the slate there against Cincinnati. Luke Fickle did a phenomenal job last season of getting the Bearcats uh, knocking on the door of a mm-hmm. New Year's Six Bowl game as, as a group of five team out of the American Conference. So between Cincinnati, Ohio State, Penn State, Iowa, Wisconsin, Minnesota, it, it's just too much, I think, for for Nebraska, the way that they've been playing the last two seasons. I think Scott Frost comes in. There's a lot of hype surrounding that program. And I think all the excitement that you had about Scott Frost coming in from UCF definitely took their eye off the ball a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I think that's been the issue there the last couple seasons with Nebraska. I think at the end of the day, if Nebraska makes a bowl game, I don't. I agree with you. Scott Frost is not losing his job this season, no matter what. Even if they lose every game on the schedule, I think you got to give the guy a little bit of time. But I do think when you get into a year three, when you get into a year four of of the program, much like what we were talking about last week with Chip Kelly at UCLA, there comes a time where even if you're Nebraska royalty, you got to get it done. Mm-hmm. And if, and especially at a, at a program like Nebraska, where it's definitely a brand name, physical smash mouth, historically type yeah. of type of program, type of offense that hasn't been living up to that. So enter Scott Frost to go back to, to such a time. And if Scott Frost continues to drop the ball there, I think there's going to be a lot of question marks if, if UCF was his ceiling as a head coach. It's not a bad ceiling, though, um, if we're being honest. He did a pretty incredible job while he was there and I actually was able to interview a gentleman from the 2017 team that won the national championship uh, in there. Well. He's got a sweet bowl. Hey, he's got the national championship ring, man. That's much, much more than I can say. But no, I agree. It was, it's a cool interview. Very cool guy. Michael Willett. Uh, check it out. He, he's doing some cool stuff now after school, which I think is very impressive too. So the Big Ten is going to be interesting. I'm very excited to dive a lot deeper into that episode. Again, we really didn't really touch too much upon Michigan State with a new, I think Mel Tucker's there. Obviously, yes, Penn State, yeah. James Franklin, it seems like he's going to leave every year. Um, 
not quite like the Gus Malzahn hot seat. It's more James Franklin's just like, oh, you've only lost two games this year. Well, we only wanted you to lose one. And Penn State fans are kind of weird like that. So we'll see what happens. But I still think personally, it is OSU's to lose and it's not even close. Uh, and that's just that's that's my opinion. And so let's move down to the Big 12, uh, where again, it's it's kind of there's especially recently, you know, we've only seen a few teams in the college football playoff just in general since they implemented it back in what 2014, I think 2015 was the first year. So it's just, it's kind of disappointing that it's always the same teams, but every year I watch and every year I freaking love it. So I really don't every care. Every year they deliver. It doesn't matter to me who's there. I just want to see the four best teams duke it out over three games and we'll see what happens there. And Oklahoma is normally one of those four best teams. And I do truly believe they are always one of those four best teams out of Ohio State, just not making it out of their own incompetence, like losing to, what was it, losing to Iowa, right? And, you know, Justin Jackson having like four interceptions, it felt like, almost losing Losing to to Purdue as well. Losing to Purdue, thank you, that game, uh, losing, almost losing to Maryland. Maryland went for two, they did not, they didn't get it. So there, there was another, you know, opportunity there. So I feel like outside of Ohio State, just kind of tripping over themselves, Oklahoma is the always the next best team and then they just do not show up when it comes to these big games but I still think they're the best team in the Big 12 and I don't really think it's close we saw what Texas tried to do a couple years ago they beat Georgia they did not carry any of that momentum forward unfortunately um I mean Texas Tech is Texas Tech they're going to put up some points and they're going to let up way more so I mean does anybody in the Big 12 do anything for you outside of Oklahoma well, I think that it's a very interesting Baylor team that's going to come into the 2020 season. Another one of those new head coaches that are coming into the fold. This time it's Dave Aranda, the defensive coordinator from last season from LSU. So he's a first-time head coach. But circle your calendar for Sunday the 6th of Labor Day weekend, assuming we can have we can have a season that's start that early. That's when I'm getting married. So oh, I'll have well, that one on the TV. Look at that. You're, you're, you're going to have to have it on in the corner when Baylor plays Ole Miss. You're going to have Dave Aranda – against Lane Kiffin at a neutral site on opening weekend of the 2020 season. And I think you're going to learn a lot about both teams in that game, but particularly Baylor. Because last year, Baylor shocked not just the Big 12, but a lot mm-hmm. of the country um, with getting very close to to eclipsing Oklahoma there and, and actually um, just really putting up a season where mm-hmm. – Outside of what Art Bryles was able to do way back when in, in 2014, where he had the Bears knocking on the door of the college football playoff, this was this, a head-turning season for Baylor. So I think they do carry that momentum into the season, especially if they can knock off Ole Miss, if they can put up a fight against Oklahoma four weeks later. Um, outside of that, really only on the road at Texas, is I think, is is another game uh, where where you'll see a blemish on, on the Bears' schedule. But I do think Baylor's going to be a team that makes some noise in the Big 12. But as you mentioned, it's Oklahoma's to lose, and it's it's not even close. If you look at their schedule there, 12-0 does not seem uh, like it's going to be a challenging feat for, for the Sooners to accomplish. Um, of course, Texas will be their only challenging game there. Um, something interesting is Oklahoma plays Army on the road in the third uh, week of the season. Army's going to be fired up for that one. That, um, that was the can, game a couple years ago. Remember, that was the game a couple years ago where no one could find it. And for some reason, it was like behind like a pay-per-view wall. And they're like, what the hell's going on? And the Kyler Murray, I think that was the Kyler Murray one, right? Where they almost yes. lose to Army. Exactly. And everybody had to like find an illegal stream on Twitch or something. That was <laughs> that was pretty funny. So, yeah, I mean, that's always I'm always for the the armed forces um, to take somebody down. I am 100 percent in on those every. Absolutely. Time. 
Absolutely. And, and of course, Oklahoma's breaking in a new quarterback this year and Spencer Rattler, who mm-hmm. um, got, I think, the best tutorial last season sitting behind Jalen Hurts. So I think that Rattler comes to the table very eager to prove that he is the fitting next in line following Jalen Hurts, Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield. You have two Heisman Trophy winners in a row. Then you have Jalen Hurts, who's a finalist. I don't think it's it's out of left field to say that if Rattler puts together the type of season that his predecessors did, you'd see him sitting on the stage in New York come December as well. So I think that Lincoln Riley has built a system and has built an offense that is just such a well-oiled machine that you can drop in any type of quarterback that fits his system, his kind of guy, and you're, you're set up for success. I, I'd argue that there's no other program in the country that has a particular system and a tailored type of quarterback that Lincoln Riley looks for than Oklahoma. You can just watch one tape of a practice or maybe some, some second team reps when they're, when they're up by 30 against an inferior opponent of who's the next guy. And you could take one look as, as I have before with Rattler and say, this is the next Lincoln mm-hmm. Riley type of quarterback. You you watch him and you see the best of Kyler Murray's feet and Baker Mayfield's arm and, and Jalen Hurts' decision-making all into one quarterback. So I don't think it's out of left field, too, to say that Rattler might even put up a better season than those than those three did um, where, where Oklahoma mm-hmm. experiencing its best run in, in quite a long time. So as, as we both concur, it's Oklahoma's to lose. It's not even close. And when you think about Texas, we've been saying for, well, ever since Tom Herman's arrival, but yes. I, I remember a particular Charlie Strong game um, from, from a few years back where they beat Notre Dame yep. mm-hmm. at home and everyone's saying, is Texas back? Then in comes Tom Herman. They beat USC. Texas is back. They beat Georgia. Texas is back. So I do think, as we were talking about earlier with LSU, the second week of the season, Texas comes into that game in Baton Rouge. And if they win, you're going to have yet again, Texas is back. Mm -hmm. They just beat the defending national champion, but you're going to have a big reality check when down the road, you lose to Oklahoma, when you lose at home, potentially to Baylor, when you go on the road to Stillwater and play Oklahoma state, who's always dangerous on a Friday night over Thanksgiving weekend. Mm. So I think down the stretch, Texas, let's say they do beat LSU with a senior veteran quarterback and Sam Ellinger, who his entire career has been turning heads. You're going to hear very fewer people giving us that Texas's back line when you play the likes of Oklahoma and Baylor. They play Texas Tech on the road, too. Who knows what happens there? Um, Really, it's in the conference uh, like the Big 12. If you come to the table on a given Saturday, scoring a lot of points, it's the conference where defense almost doesn't even exist anymore. If Texas can can keep pulling out the shootouts, yes, you'll see the W's down down in the, mm-hmm. the win-loss column, but it doesn't necessarily convince you that Texas is back. And yeah. I think that's that's their issue. And, and as we talked about last week, I'm excited to see Todd Orlando come into USC as the new defensive coordinator. But to your point, there's a reason why the defensive coordinator position became vacant down in Austin. So no, Texas is not back. I don't think this is the season where they solidify that by any means. And is this the season where there's some heat under Tom Herman's seat as well? I I don't think his job is going to become under fire, but, you know, put up another three, four loss season and, and lose another game where you're expected to win as Mm -hmm. they did last season against Oklahoma state. And there's going to be some question marks under, under Tom Herman moving forward as well. At that point, you got to figure, does he have only another one, two years at best 
to turn things around and right the ship. Yeah. So, uh, you know, as we were talking about last week, he did have, um, as we were talking about USC last week specifically, he did have a pretty good um, recruiting class this year. Texas always does. I mean, it's a hotbed of college football and football in general. So he had a very good recruiting, recruiting, recruiting class. There you go, English. Um, I'll try and figure it out one of these days. I think he, he has a shot. I do not think Texas is back. Every single time I meet somebody that went to the University of Texas, it's one of the first questions I ask them. They always find it kind of snarky, especially after they lose. So it is what it is, but we'll see what happens there. And just want to bring up one more point back to Oklahoma before we switch over to the ACC and talk about a couple teams over there. Spencer Rattler was the number one recruit in the nation a couple years ago. He was slated to be the starting quarterback, and then Jalen Hurts comes over and takes that over. So Spencer Rattler was going to be the starting quarterback last year until, you know, only one of the, I wouldn't say greatest, I don't know, I wouldn't say best, maybe greatest. I don't know how we want to say that, but Jalen Hurts went, what, 27-2 and while he was at Alabama. He lost one national championship game. He lost one other game while he was there. Obviously, Tua comes in and, and wins the, um, national championship but then Jalen Hurts does make sure that they he redeems himself and beats Georgia in the SEC championship game the next year so I don't know I think Jalen Hurts is a great quarterback to your point though I think Spencer Rattler has a chance to be significantly significantly better so I'm very excited but also Lincoln Riley's not uh he's he's not waiting around or anything he brought in the uh I think for the 2021 class he has the number one recruit as exactly so he is a quarterback machine. Quarterbacks understand if you go into my system, you will win potentially. You will be a potential Heisman winner. And so far, of those three quarterbacks, Baker Mayfield went number one overall, Kyler Murray went number one overall, and Jalen Hurts was extremely overdrafted to the Eagles in the second round. So they all made a bunch of money. And I think quarterbacks understand that, hey, if I just go play for Lincoln Riley, I'm going to be due just fine. So very excited to see what happens in Oklahoma. I'm a very big Big 12 fan because I love offense. Um, and I, could, I, I watch the NFL to see teams play competent defense i do not watch the big 12 to see competent defense i see i look to see those 54 55 games that is what i'm all about so let's move over to the acc obviously a couple teams over there um you know florida state as we already talked about for a second really not the florida state that we're going to see or have seen in in recent history back going back to you know james winston and them being good uh deandre francois is not there anymore james blackman's not there anymore uh, uh willie taggart left they have a new who they who, Mike Norvell, I think they brought in as the the head coach over there in Florida State. So yep, yep. I don't know. Well, not really even worried about them too much. Obviously, the team there is uh, North Carolina. Please, uh, the team there is Clemson. North Carolina has given them scares the last couple of years. So uh, just a couple more minutes here, Jacob. I mean, Clemson. I don't think we need to say too much about them. Trevor Lawrence, probably favorite to win the Heisman. That defense is going to be insane. The real question is. Is it so boring for them that they finally do slip up to North Carolina and lose this game this year? Well, here, here's the deal. I think luckily for Clemson, they don't have North Carolina on their schedule oh, okay. in the regular yes. season, which is somehow a, a big skirt because I think the most interesting team in the ACC outside of Clemson, of course, is North Carolina because insert Mac Brown and all of a sudden the recruiting is off the hook. Sam Howell, maybe? Um, Sam Howell put together one of the more impressive freshman seasons that we've seen in a while and is definitely in the discussion for one of the top returning quarterbacks in the country going into next season. Take Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields off the table. They're a given. Then in that discussion, you have the likes of Sam Howell and Keaton Slovis and Bo Nix, et cetera. Um, so I think if Sam Howell can come in the first week of the season, knock off UCF on the road, that's where they open the season at UCF. Wow. 
And then, as I, I mentioned before, they play Auburn in week two. But after that, it is a very, very favorable slate for North Carolina all the way through to the end of the season. As I mentioned, they don't play Clemson. Uh, they don't even play Florida State. So I think a big question mark on their schedule is, can they get through the first two weeks of the season? Can they have a loss, dare I say, maybe even two upset victories in the beginning until they get into that Miami game in the second half of the season on the road. I think Manny Diaz is very hungry to prove that what he did as a defensive coordinator translates well over as a head coach. What's going to be of Miami as he goes into uh, his second season. But if North Carolina can turn some heads with one, maybe two upset wins at the start of the season, Dare I say they roll through the rest of the schedule with one more loss at, at best um, when, when you look at who they got on, on tap, Virginia, Virginia Tech, Duke, UConn, Pitt, Boston College. I don't think any of those teams are, are going to get North Carolina unless they, they come in napping. So mm-hmm. I think the, the way and, and this is what fascinates me about head coaching in college football is the way that the, the personal brand of a head coach can not only flip recruiting, but flip hype. I think nobody expected Mac Brown to come in in his first season to a North Carolina team that was just reeling from a season ago and make a bowl game. And now the the kind of hype they have to say, not only are they going to make a bowl game, but I don't think it's too far off the beaten path to have North Carolina primed for a 10 win or, or even more. So um, especially as they don't have Clemson on, on the schedule there until probably the ACC championship game. So I think the ACC Clemson has on cruise control and it's just a prize for second place. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's a pretty solid prize. Uh, Virginia did, I mean, outside of, you know, getting throttled by Clemson in that uh, as uh, the ACC championship game, 62 to like whatever it was, that was terrible. I do think, um, Miami is going to be interesting. We watched them score literally zero points against Louisiana Tech, I think, in the bowl game. That's the last we remember of them. And Tate Martell was supposed to come over from Ohio State, and he was going to be the savior. He was terrible. Now we have Derek King coming over from Houston, which is exactly be very interesting because Tate Martell, we didn't see him on the field. We all just kind of knew the hype. He was one, he was like top ten in the in the country, and then Dwayne Haskins beats him out. He leaves. You know, Joe Burrow leaves. Tate Martell leaves, you know, everybody leaves eventually. And then he was bad. He was really bad. And there was a reason why everyone kept beating him out is because he was terrible. Derek King, we saw put up numbers at Houston. I think he had over 50 touchdowns a couple years ago. Last year was weird. Uh, Dana Holgerson, that was just a real weird situation down there in Houston. They were doing some real shady stuff where the new rule of if you only play four games, you can then redshirt. So he had a lot of his seniors after they started like one and three. He just had them all redshirt or a significant number of them redshirt. So that way they can come back for the next year, which is just a really weird kind of just seems like a shady, like business practice, not illegal, but kind of frowned upon. So I'm curious to see what happens there, but no, man, I think, you know, as I agree with you, it's, it's unfortunate. We kind of said, you know, is anyone catching Bama? Maybe, but probably not. Uh, is anyone going to catch OSU? Definitely. Probably not in my opinion. Uh, OU, Oklahoma, yeah, it's every it's there to lose. And Clemson, same thing. So seems like we're probably going to have four boring teams in the college football playoff again, but that's kind of what I'm hoping for. I just want these four gigantic schools to just go up against each other and give me three really, really good games. We usually only end up getting two good games, but give me three good games and I'm going to call it happy. So 
Jacob, I, I sincerely appreciate you coming on again. I'm excited to do this again, not next week, not next Wednesday, but probably the Wednesday following. We're going to go over an SEC breakdown. We're going to do a Big Ten breakdown, a Big 12 breakdown, straight up ACC breakdown as well. And then we'll even probably do another episode where we start to talk about the group of five schools. And I think that'll lead us right into the season at that point. And then we can just start talking about games that are going on, what's happening and and how your USC Trojans are doing. So, Jacob, I appreciate it again. Thanks so much for uh, for hanging out today, man. I appreciate you. You got it, man. Appreciate it. I'll see you next time.